0: Now we are looking at hope today. No, I'm not Pastor Doug. My name is Daniel. If you didn't get the memo, and you're like, "Oh man," <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> um, no, but we are talking about hope, and uh, we are in the we are in a series called um, uh, "People Prepare, prepared for uh, God's second arrival. And as we are waiting for His second arrival, we're preparing by looking at His first arrival, the Advent season. <clears throat> So let me pray before we get started. Lord, just as we read in Titus this morning, we are looking for that blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. I pray that this morning you would speak to to each individual in this room, uh, that you would open our ears uh, so that we can hear your voice, Lord, uh, that your story would be be clear uh, and it would give us hope. Amen. So as we look at hope, I think sometimes we, we confuse hope with faith. So to be clear, I wanted to give you a, a, hope, a definition of hope before we get started, okay? Uh, hope is a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. So why is that important? 1 Peter 3.15 tells us that we should always, believers, those that believe in Jesus, We should always be prepared to make a defense or have an answer to anyone who asks us for a reason for the hope that is within us. So that tells me two things. One, I should know the hope that's inside and be ready to explain it. And two, I should be living in a different manner so much so that people around me go, "Uh, what is going on with you, dude? Like, you've got something that I don't have. What is that, right? So it's not just being able to explain it, but also living in a manner that causes other people around you to see a difference, okay? So as a people prepared, we have to be ready to to be giving our hope away. And now I'm really excited to to jump into today's text Um, because I didn't think of it at first, but as I was just doing my daily reading, God showed me, this is the passage that I want you to run to and I can't wait to get to it Uh, But before we go there, I want to give you some background. And kids, if you pull out your Connect this week, uh, it looks like this. Now, as you listen to the story that we go through, I'm just going to read God's story, okay? But when we get to the part, by the end of this, I want you to be able to tell me uh, why, why Ruth is telling Naomi, your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. And I promise I will tell you why that is. But I want you to hear it. So as you're coloring and as you're listening to this story, uh, I want you to get it so that this week, as your family goes, to, goes together uh, through this study, uh, I want you to be able to tell your parents, hey, I know why Ruth is saying this to Naomi, okay? And if you get that, write it down on this sheet of paper. We'll give you candy for it, too. <laughs> All right? <laughs> Unless your parents say no. Um, okay, so let's begin. We're going to be in Ruth chapter one, okay? Ruth is in the first third of your Bible. Uh, I remember where it is because I always think uh, Joshua judges Ruth because Joshua is a jerk. Josh judges Ruth. But I'm. Um, no? Nobody? <laughs> anyway, Ruth is right after uh, Judges. Uh, you will have to turn there because we are going to be reading the entire chapter, uh, first chapter of Ruth. Okay, so let's start. Uh, Ruth, chapter 1, verse 1. In the days. When the judges—oh, wait, I didn't give you the, the intro. Sorry, before we jump in. <laughs> Man, I'm excited. Okay, so before we jump in, uh, this is in the time— uh, if you don't know Israel's time, if you're not familiar with it, this is the time where um, Israel, is, a, is, is God's nation, is now living off the land that he promised them. So they've been delivered from Egypt by God's mighty hand. Okay, he parted the Red Sea. They crossed right through it. They went up to the, uh, the promised land. They, they were unfaithful. So God led them as a pillar of fire and smoke through the wilderness. Okay? Everybody knew about them. They were the, like the famous homeless people. They went around. And so they, when their, when their uh, discipline was over, God led them. Uh, into the promised land by stopping the Jordan. So they crossed over. He toppled the, the mighty walls of Jericho. As they went in to conquer the land, they pushed out all of the people because God, they didn't, God wiped them out and moved in his people. Okay, so they are known to the rest of the world as the people that walk with a living God. Okay, they, they are known, uh, or God is known. Now, where we pick up this story is where the people... Are living in the land They're, they 're rich, they' good, they have their land of, of milk and honey they 've got it, but it's also a time of great spiritual confusion because they don't have a king because God is supposed to be their king, but as they go around, they don't really have somebody to govern and rule, and man 's heart will always stray from the Lord, so they, they, they get lost, they get confused, they. Their hearts turn away, and it, it gets really muddy. So everybody's kind of doing what's, what's right in their own life, all right? So they're, they're just living their best life, right? And along with that, we're going to pick up and we're going to see what happens uh, to Naomi and her family. So let's begin. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. <clears throat> and the man of Bethlehem in Judah—sorry— uh, um, in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife uh, Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Mahalon and Chilion. I think they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. Okay. So it's important to note here what Elimelech's hope is tied to. Because they're in God's promised land where they're supposed to have everything that God's protecting, providing. But there's a famine probably attached to the fact that the people are sinning and God is using this circumstance to draw him back to himself. Well, Elimelech, he's a go-getter. He's a tough guy. God's given him, God, God's given him the, the wherewithal and the ability. So he's going he's gonna to go make he's got to provide for his family, right? So he goes out and He's going to take charge. He's going to provide. He's going to find a way to feed his family. He's going to control his own fate. How do I know he's not trusting God here? He is—the reason I know he is taking control of his own destiny here and going out and forging his own way is because he is going to the land of the Moabites. Okay, they're crazy distant cousins. And as he's—they are leaving God's promise to go to a distant land that— has a God that stands in direct opposition to his God, so I know for a fact he's going. There, there's this terrible famine. God must not be providing for us. You know what? God's given me these two hands to work, provide for my family. He must want me to do this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. We're gonna go find something better. Be very careful. So let's see how that works out for him. Ruth, uh, one. We're gonna start uh, in verse three. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. So it didn't work out so good for him. He couldn't control his own fate. He couldn't do it. But really, what, what can I control in my own life? Other than my, my heart and my mind, what can I control? Can I control whether or not I get cancer? Can I control whether or not, like I can't control my health, right? That's out of my control. Um, I, can't, I can't control whether or not my, my, my car gets destroyed by a bus on my drive home th- tomorrow. I cannot control that, can I? We can't, even, we can't even control the insurance that we buy to ensure that we don't have a problem. We can't ensure that they're going to insure us what we paid the insurance for, right? But we, we can't depend on those things. We cannot control them. <clears throat> but let's try not to be so pessimistic here. <laughs> I mean, it can't rain every day, right? Right? Like, like, there's got to be good things on the horizon. I can believe that, and I can make it happen. Let's see how that works out. So let's start in verse 4. These, talking about uh, Naomi's sons, took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the, uh, and the name of the other, Ruth. That's the only name I'm sure of other than Naomi. They lived there about 10 years, and both Mahlon and Chilon died, so that the women— so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So, Ish, maybe not. It's still, sounds like a, like a rainy day parade, right? So, actually, it's even worse than it sounds. Okay, it's not just that she lost her husband and she lost her two sons, but back then, women were property. So, and this is in, in Israel's camp. In God's camp, women were still thought of as property. So, when, when the man died— and and the woman became a widow, uh, she she legally could not own land. So she was out without resource. Like her security, her protection disappeared. So the only way that she would be provided for was to either move back into her father's house, if he was still alive. I don't know what the age expectancy was back then. But if that didn't work out, if he was no longer around, she had to move in with her sons, and then he— son would take care of mom. She has no security blanket. It's all gone, okay? So now, not only does she have nothing, all of, everything, like she's been on 10 years of hard knocks and tough luck, right? She's made some mistakes. The Israelite people were not to let their sons marry outside of the camp because it would pull their hearts away from God. She let both of her sons marry Moabite women. So she's, she's not necessarily following after the Lord either. Now everything comes crumbling down around her. Um, I can only imagine. She is literally looking at a death sentence here. And not only does she not have security, but she has two uh, daughter-in-laws that are looking to her for support. Like this is, this is as bad as it gets. Okay? She, the only thing that she can do is rely on... Um, charity from good hearted people, and there 's not many of those people uh, around at this point, which leads me to my first point: Hope can be lost if we put our hope in anything other than God, we will lose our hope if it 's not God, it can be moved i don 't care what it is if you're if you 're if your hope lies in, if it's anchored in anything other than God, it can be moved. So, and here's the gut, gut punch, everybody. Get ready for it. Here it comes. I'm going to embrace you. Is it, your, is it your paycheck? Like the thought of losing your, like let's say your next paycheck isn't coming in. Are you like, mm. does that provide security in your family? Does that, does that provide security in in, in your life? What about your savings account? Or your 401k? Like the things that we set up to, for insurance, what if those, those cease to exist? <clears throat> what about your pension, your life insurance policy? Proverbs 23.5 says, in the blink of an eye, wealth disappears, for it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. Now, I'm not saying that God can't or doesn't or won't use any of these things to provide security for you, okay? God wants us to save. He wants us to be frugal. He wants us to be good stewards of what he gives us, okay? But all too often, we set those things up so that we don't have to trust the hand of the Lord. We replace God's hand of security so we don't have to rely on him. Well, at least at this point, it can't get any worse, right? Well, let's keep reading. So Ruth, let's pick it up in chapter 1, let's pick it up in verse 6. Then she arose with her daughter, her daughters-in-law, to return from the country of Moab. So she's not going home. She's going back to the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields, or no, I'm sorry, Israel, Uh, She had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb, that they may uh, become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. She's in the Moabite fields. I want to know. She's in the Moabite fields when word reaches her that God is delivering his people once again. Sometimes God is bringing you to the end of yourself so that you'll take your eyes off of you and put them back on him. His goodness here is calling him back to himself. It's his testimony. It's his, it's, it's his reputation. He's never, he's never stopped being faithful to his people. Okay? It's, and this, Israel was meant to be a light to the dark world they were to be, God's chosen people were to show the rest of the world what it was like to walk with a living God, to fall walls, part, seas, provide, protect, but most importantly, love. And at this point, you can tell it's working. She's in the Moabite field when she hears God's delivering his people again, again. And she's way over here out, way outside of his will. She's like, man, I got to go back. But why is she telling her, her daughters not to come with her? Like, why would she do that? It's because she's, she's lost hope. She thinks it's not going to work. She is literally looking at a death sentence. They still have a way out. If she's the one that's supposed to be providing sons so that her daughters can be provided for, protected, and, and, and loved, she feels like she has to provide that for them. And she cannot. She's too old. She, and we'll see that in a second. But what she's saying is, get out now. Go. Return. Go back to, the, go, go back to the, your place of security and find rest. Get out of here. You don't have to ha- suffer the same fate as me. You're young. You're beautiful. You can still find a husband. Problem is that she's saying, go find rest. Go find peace. Go find. Go find. Go find. She's telling him to go away from God. Do you see that? Naomi suffered from a perspective problem. She had forgotten what her hope was. She's giving up here. She's literally saying, save yourselves. Now, elephants in captivity can be used to tear tear trees out of the ground, roots and all. Giant, massive elephants, right? But they can also, when they're in captivity, they can be held held captive by a rope no, no thicker than my thumb. Like, when you look at a giant elephant that's used to plow fields and and like take the whole tree out of the ground you look at it tied to a, a a tiny little tent stake in the ground and it won't pull against it it makes you go well how 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 why wouldn't it just get up and leave like how do you keep that thing trained to not just up it could snap it with no problem and the the key is when the baby when it's a baby elephant they tie it to that post and they leave it there so that it struggles and struggles and struggles and struggles and it's, too, it's not strong enough yet to leave. So it can't break the rope until it loses hope and just stops trying. It just stops trying. It forgets who it is. It forgets that it's massive and can leave at any point. That's what hopelessness will do to you. You will, you will be trapped in your situation because you, you just can't get out of it. Naomi, for, or yeah, she forgot that she was a powerhouse that had a living God. She forgot about that. So listen to her hopelessness in her words as we continue. Let's pick it up. I'm going to read verse 12 again. Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should, should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown?" Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and they wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. When you don't understand the hand of God in your life, trust his heart and his character. Because he is faithful. I'm going to say that again. When you don't understand the hand of God in your life, trust his heart and his character. Because he is faithful. By his very nature, he is faithful. Now here's the thing about hope. It's contagious. But hopelessness even more so. That's why the devil wants to keep you hopeless, because it's not only going to stop you from pulling against the tent stake, but it will cause others to 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 be hopeless too. She actually she succeeded in turning Orpah away from the from the living God, but not Ruth. Naomi's helplessness caused her to turn Orp away. British military strategist Captain B. H. Lytle Hart said hopelessness induces or helplessness induces induces hopelessness. And history attests that loss of hope and not loss of lives is what decides the issues of war. You hear that? It's not loss of life, but loss of hope that will change the outcome of a war. If you can make a people hopeless, I don't care how the number, you can defeat them. Because what is it worth fighting for? Hope is powerful. It's paramount to any action, any achievement, or any victory. If faith were a vehicle, hope would be the gas that makes it run. If faith is an action, hope is what moves it. Which leads me to my second p- point. Hope can be found. If you focus your heart and your mind on God, no matter what the circumstance is, you will find hope. Will. You will find hope. God will not let you down or disappoint. Romans 15:13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to the difference hope makes as we continue. We're going to pick it up in verse 15. Now this is Ruth. Or no, this is Naomi Uh, and then Ruth. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you. Or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined, to go with her. She said no more. Ruth, you go, girl. Her eyes were fixed. Her hope was sure. She looked her mom, her mother-in-law, straight in the face and said, listen here, you old bag. She she didn't say that. Just kidding. Some of you were laughing too hard at that. Uh, But she has her eyes on the prize and why is that? Ruth didn't come from Naomi's camp. Ruth was a Moabite. She didn't have the Heavenly Father that Naomi did. She knew what it was like to grow up in the dark world. She knew the hopelessness of having a false God. She knew it all too well because she lived it. God's chosen people were to be a light to the rest of the world. What it's like to walk, talk, Live, but most importantly, love and be loved by the living God. And like I said, it was working. Ruth knew she had heard the stories of this God that delivered them from Egypt, that parted the Red Sea, that led them as a pillar of fire, that stopped the Jordan and crushed the walls of Jericho. She had heard. Ruth was saying, if there's a God like that, if there's a god that can love like that, then maybe he can love me too. If he's good enough to love them, if he's good enough to be faithful to them, maybe he's got a spot for me too. When you're up against something, uh Is it your first instinct to point your eyes towards the God of miracles or to the work of your hands? What is your hope anchored in? Because your walk and the things that you act, say, and do will be testament to what you actually, where your hope actually is. Which leads me to my third point. So if you're, hey kids, if you're following along, I should probably hammer that one home for you. If you want to fill this out, the reason that, that Ruth is saying that to Naomi is because she believes that God is real. She, <clears throat> she wants the same fate as, as uh, Naomi. True hope, or so my point number three, my third and final point, true hope overflows. When your hope is anchored in truth, it, tr- it changes the way you think and act. Ruth's hope overflows uh, to having enough faith to choose a death sentence. Okay. Ruth is looking at the situation going, I hope that that God will love me. I don't know if he will because it's God's chosen people and I'm not part of that, but I sure hope he will. I know that he can. I hope he will. So much so that I'm not going back to the false God. I'm not going back to the false security because I know what's back there. I'm gonna hope forward and you know what? I'm gonna walk. I'm gonna take this sure death sentence that Naomi, that you're facing and I would rather face that with the hope of God than go back to, to, to the helplessness of my situation of godlessness. Does that make sense? So let's jump ahead a few verses so we can, we can wrap up the story here. We're going to, we're going to look at verse 22. So Naomi returned and Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Hmm. So two helpless women marching towards the death sentence as they head into Bethlehem hoping for a savior. How am I ever going to tie this to Christmas? They're headed into Bethlehem looking for a Savior. Kids, what Savior was born in Bethlehem? Say it loud. Jesus, that's right. Well, these two ladies are hoping, they're hoping for somebody to redeem them, somebody to, the, like, they're, they're going right now hoping that during the, bar, the Harley, or Harley, I wish it was Harley uh the barley harvest so they're going to glean the fields of the farmers and 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 hope they can survive on good, the goodwill of mankind and the and the love of of God so as they go in the reason that Ruth goes is because her hope transfers to faith okay and like i said before if faith is a vehicle hope is the gas okay so if you look like let's let's just take like a stock market like you're looking at a stock. Your hope is that it will go through the roof, right? The arrow kind of pings and pongs and then it goes through the roof. Like that's what everybody wants when they invest, right? But you look at its track record going, hey, I think that this is going to be a good decision. As soon as this happens, it's going to skyrocket. I better buy when it's low so that my hope is it will, the, the, it will increase in revenue, right? So that my, my, my little investment will return large. So that's the hope. But faith is the actual purchase. Does that make sense? So if you're hoping for this, this awesome, mighty thing, you've got to invest. Does that make sense? That's faith. That's choice. That's, that's what Ruth was hoping that God would adopt her. So she stared death in the face and went after it. Does that make sense? That's what Ruth did. That's what hope does. Now, And I don't know why here, but as I was reading this, I picture, I picture Jesus like sitting on a throne and then this tiny orphan girl with like no sandals, totally dirty, ripped dress, but comes in shy and hesitant and goes, can you love me too? Like, I don't know why I have that picture, but that's the picture I have of her coming into Israel going, I know I don't belong here. I know that you're not my dad, but will you love me too? And he goes, baby, come here, I got you. Now, I want to, here's a secret. God is a father and he has a sweet spot. Just like every dad. Every dad has a sweet spot. You want to know God's sweet spot? It's faith. When you have faith, God gets up and flexes his muscles. Like, come on, baby, I'm going to show the world what I can do. This tiny little piece of faith Ruth just wanted him to adopt her. And he's like, I'm not just going to adopt you. I'm going to adopt you into my Christmas story. The story. If your mind's melting right now, just hold on. Buckle up because here we go. Ruth does find a redeemer, Boaz. God sends a godly man who actually ends up being a distant relative of hers because God is God and melts my mind. But he, he uses this man to redeem her. And she becomes the great grandma of Israel's King David. Now we know uh, um, through the prophets Samuel, Isaiah, and Jeremiah that his Messiah, his coming Savior, was gonna come through the line of David. So not only did this, this woman, who was not a part of God's camp, she was outside, but she came looking, will you adopt me? And he goes, I'm gonna I'm gonna do you way better than that. Come on in. Not only am I going to be your daddy, but I'm going to include you in the line that brings my Messiah. I don't know how he does that stuff. I don't know how he does it. But now we have four chapters in his word that talks about her story. She had hope, transition to faith. And we have this mighty story of how awesome God is in his love for us. So here's how it connects to you. Only, only God, only a true living God could have done this. Like you can't, not only can you not imagine this, you can't pen this. Because this was penned hundreds of years before Jesus would walk the earth. Like you, you can't, prophecy is our assurance. Like we know that God's word is true. Every promise he's ever given us has come true. Every single promise, every single one. Only God can do that. That should move you to faith. So maybe you're a Limelech. Maybe you're in the room and you're listening to the story, and your fear is causing you to, to lie to yourself. And I'm a Limelech, man. I think all of us are Limelech. When the going gets tough, God's given me a brain. He's giving me two hands. It's time for me to get after this. It's time for me. He's he's, he's, he's made me, he's given me the ability. He must want me to use it. I'm not saying that that's not true, but your first instinct should go, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? How do you want me to do it? And then I'll put all of my might into that. I'll put all of my wisdom into that. I'll put both hands to that. And God's like, I'm going to include you in a bigger story. Stop lying to yourself if you're a Limelech. You can't control anything other than your heart and mind. Maybe you're Naomi. Forgotten. Maybe you've forgotten your hope. Maybe you never knew the actual hope, uh, the true hope. And maybe you've been wandering down a road for a really long time. And you, you've been take. the world's just been serving you kick after kick and you're at the end of your rope. If that's you, I would say submit to God. Don't forget that you are a mighty elephant, that God's plan, you're being held by a lie. Don't fall into that. Turn your eyes to him. Submit to his plan. He loves you greatly. And maybe you're Ruth. You're desperately hopeful that the rumors you've heard about this good god the the stories you've heard from the people that talk about him maybe you're desperately hopeful that this is this isn't just another lie that the world's going to serve you and you're going to end up feeling disappointed i'm here to tell you he he will not let you down because he is faithful he is good he is worthy what you've heard is true. Give him your heart. Fall in love with him because he's a father. And maybe you're not any of these. Maybe you know your hope. You know that your hope isn't just God, that God loved the world so much that he would send his only perfect son, Jesus, into the world to die for the sins of mankind so that whoever believes in him will not perish. But we also get to have real, everlasting life with him in his kingdom, where he will make all things new and wipe away every tear from every eye and death shall be no more. There will be no mourning, no crying, no pain anymore. All of that will have passed away. To you, I say this, your hope is not foolish because God's promised this to those of us who believe. And every promise he's ever made has come true except for the ones that we are waiting on. Let's pray. Lord, like we opened in 1 Peter 3.15, you tell us that we're, we're to be ready to, to not only answer for the hope that's within us, but to live in a manner that makes other people want to know too. So Lord, I ask that you would remind us of the hope that we have in your Savior, in your Son, Jesus. That we are celebrating his birth this Christmas. But Lord, you fulfilled that promise, and you left us with another one. You, you are going to prepare a place, and you are coming back. So just like you fulfilled the first promise, you're going to fulfill the second, and let man, we are excited. So Lord, I pray that that hope would be our, our gas into faith, that we would move mightily. So that we can watch you fall walls and part seas. Because you are a good and loving Father. And we love you like crazy. Amen.